Welcome, Brett. Good morning, George. Brett, I see. I see you're dressed. See, listeners, you cannot see Brett, but uh, he's he's dressed in his finest today. I got my jammies on. <laughs> actually, actually, to be honest, I've actually been for a run and I've been down to the harbour and did a few laps across the bay, mm-hmm. and uh, the water was a bit chilly. Given that our interviewee is going to see you, Brett, uh, not just uh, not just hear you, um, do you think you could have shaved? I'm not, I'm not a, shaving. Top. I'm not shaving until we're out of isolation. Oh my God! You'll you'll look like a like a hipster by the time we're done with this. Um, yes, I, I I'm starting to not look in the mirror because I can't stand looking at myself and thinking you look like a hipster. Yeah, well, you'll also have long hair like Jesus because um, the barber's gone as well. Well, I guess you know I'll be in good company. You will be. You will be. So so today. We have Kitty Thomas. She is known, better known uh, today as the Debt Angel, but she has quite a fascinating story about how she got to this point. She helps people with, she helps people um, overcome their debt issues. Uh, so many people are burdened by, by debt, um, but it started off, she started off the same way. And over the course of time, uh, she, she developed a real knack for dealing with debt. and. Um, and who doesn't have debt in this day and age? I can imagine that it's uh, this is a very timely interview, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's quite timely in the in, in during this crisis. So she might uh, be able to lend listeners a few tips. Uh, certainly, they they can avail themselves of her services if they need it. But she actually has a great story, and that's what we're that's what we're all about, Brett. That's Good what stories. Float Your Boat's about. And uh, just a little quick update um, for everybody out there. Yep. Thank you for everybody who's been jumping back onto the podcast and, yes, and listening you, to the episodes. Um, our numbers are quite good considering we haven't been around for nine or ten months. I'm surprised that anyone came back, to be honest. Yeah, well, well yeah, including us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well... Well, people actually like listening to our stories. I, I, I still, I'm still overwhelmed by that. Yeah, well, you know, I guess a good story is a good story, George. It is indeed. So without further ado, let's get Kitty Thomas in. Hello, Shall Kitty. We? Can I say hello, hello. Kitty? Yeah. <laughs> you could try that. Try that on. I'll try hello, let's how, Kitty. Let's see, how, let's, see, let's see how that goes. Is she Japanese? No. Oh, let's get her in. She's not that Kitty. <laughs> No. Oh, okay. Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Okay. Hello, Kitty. There's a, there's a cliche. <laughs> I wish she's only she's only a little bit older than me. Oh, if right. I had started her, I'd be a, a wealthy woman. Oh anyway. yeah, gee whiz, also. So yeah. uh, okay, we're ready to go, everybody. George, Beautiful. you can intro. So hello, Kitty. Welcome to our Zoom studio. Wonderful. Thank welcome, you for having well, me. Welcome to float your boat. I, I I've always wanted to say hello, Kitty. <laughs> so have I. I, I, I hello, Kitty. <laughs> It's got quite the ring to it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a little bit older than you, right? Just a little bit. Yeah. 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 If I if I would have um, you know, been a little bit more ahead of the times, I would have been a very wealthy woman. Mm. Yes, well, if only, if only. Yeah. So so let's let's start with well, let's start at the beginning, right? You were just you were you were explaining where you grew up. Uh, mm-hmm. Brett lives in Vaucluse. Apparently yeah. you lived around the corner. I did. I did. I grew up in Essen suburbs. So I was about, there for about twenty years ago, years. right? About yes, 20 we'll, years take, ago. we'll take that. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I've spent 10 years living there and then we moved to the kind of upper middle North Shore. Um, and then when my parents separated, we ended up on the lower North Shore. And between then and now, I think I've probably lived in about 30 different places, anywhere from Central Coast to Blue Mountains and everywhere in between. Why so? What? Um, to be honest, I'm not even, I'm not sure. I kind of, I, I had like a, a, a I love moving. I love kind of experiencing different areas. You know, growing up in the eastern suburbs and then moving out of there, I always wanted to get back, but I always loved the water. So everything was about getting me back to the water and being in an environment that was uh, cleansing. Um, Central Coast was lovely, but it was too far away. And now I'm based on the beautiful northern beaches, which is where I'm going to stay. Lots of space and room for the kids and you know, it's it's a gorgeous location. I love it here. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about growing up in the eastern suburbs, Kitty. Like, your brother, do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have a little sister. So I um we were there. Uh, so I grew up in the eastern suburbs. My dad's uh, English and my mother's of European descent. So we were there for a couple of years, and then we travelled to Europe for a couple of years and travelled around England and Europe. Um, I loved living in the eastern suburbs. It was a lot different then. 20 years, no, 30 years ago than it is now. Um, and I just, you know, the, the beaches were beautiful, et cetera. And when I moved out and then moved back into Vaucluse, that I love Vaucluse. Vaucluse, for me, out of the eastern suburbs is absolutely 100% my favourite part of the eastern suburbs because you're surrounded by water, which, again, is super important to me. Um, and I loved being around, like, in close close proximity to people uh, that I grew up with and being able to walk backwards and forwards to places, etc. Yeah, I love I love the essence of it. It's beautiful. So tell us about tell tell us about um, your your well your teenage years. You 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 moved, you moved around a lot, right? Yeah. You've moved around a lot. But uh, where did you go to school? When did you finish? I mean, yeah. what did you study afterwards if you did at all? Like what did you do? Sure. So uh, I started, as I, as I mentioned before we started, I, I started school at Ascom in the Essen suburbs and then my parents moved me to a Jewish school called Masada. So when we moved from the eastern suburbs, we moved to uh, to lower North Shore, or, yeah, middle North Shore. Um, and then to be honest, I wasn't a big fan. It wasn't kind of a good fit with me. Um, and we I ended up from year eight through to year 12 at Kalara High School. Um, in year 12, year 11 and 12, my major work for uh, society and culture was what's called a personal interest project and I got really committed to helping people. I've always been committed to helping people, but I did uh, work where I basically went out and I would work for Wayside Chapel, connecting with the people, homeless kids and helping them kind of uh, get into shelters and get out of the cold and, and look after themselves there. And um, when I finished school, um, that was a bit of a fight. The, the government didn't want me to do that because I was younger than a lot of the kids, but um, I was quite stubborn, maybe still am a little, um, and kind of pushed that and, and um, was able to do that, which was really great. And when I left school, um, I was accepted. I think there were about 2,000 applicants and maybe 100 or 200 places. It was basically a community uh, outreach program that uh, through TAFE and um, I was accepted into it out of out of a lot of applicants at a diploma of community services sorry my mind went blank um, and I was accepted into it and did this program and, and I did it for a period of time and I realized to be completely honest that it wasn't for me like it was very much about being a particular rigor a rigorous way of being and you had to kind of abide by a particular way and I remember one of the teachers gave us an assignment which was in your opinion right about and I think from memory it was about how would you transform the streets and I wrote something completely outlandish and you know over the top and you know well, what about we did this and that and that, and that and I was told my opinion was wrong and I remember having a reaction going how can my opinion be wrong and it was at that point I think I stepped back from traditional education and went no I'm going to create and, and express my difference in the world and, and the, the difference I want to make through my own channels and, and that's what I went on to do. So, Kitty, um, George tell, told me or gave me a little bit of a brief before the interview. He told me that you have a, a really interesting story uh, that led you into the business you're in now. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. When did that start? So, so I was about 21 when I had what I affectionately refer to as my entrepreneurial seizure. 
<laughs> I it would be a fabulous idea. I was working part-time as a wharfie doing receival and delivery underneath the Harbour Bridge. Where the I could see you as a wharfie. <laughs> just, a yeah, your bib and brace, your muscling with your jack boots on. <laughs> uh, they, put, they put me on, a, on a, one of those, um, oh, what are they called? They're like the bobcats to get one of the bobcats off that. <laughs> Actually, but it was around that time. And because it was like a part-time job for me and it was just kind of like, to be honest, I was earning really good money at 21, um, I didn't get involved in any of that, which mean, meant that when one of the wharfies took me for a drive and went, you know, this is a 20-foot container and this is a 40-foot container, and, and he said, this is where I got to think. And we drove through this amazing, massive shed and out the other side and in front of me was the opera, it was uh, Lunar Park and next to me was a Harbour Bridge. And I was actually doing a leadership program at the time and I went, oh, I'm going to put a party on here. And the leadership program was all about integrity and doing what you said. And then I went, oh, well, what have I just said? So then I kind of was driven back to the main area and marched upstairs and knocked on the door of, like, management was upstairs and the wharfies were downstairs. And as you pointed out, there was, like, this whole big discrepancy between the two with the mm. union. But I was oblivious or maybe not oblivious, just didn't care. Um, and when I says and knocked on the door and this man with no hair and one arm knocked uh, uh, answered and said, yeah. <laughs> Lefty, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, um, you don't know me, but my name is Kitty and I work downstairs in receival and delivery and I want to put a party on in Shed 3. And he said, okay, get me a proposal. And I went, okay, and backed out the door and left. And I'm like, now what? Anyway, a good friend of mine was um, was involved with um, with people uh, in um, uh, Oxford Street at the time and working, you know, around there. And we knew a lot of people. We were quite connected. Um, and so two hours later, I came back and gave the same man a check for two thousand dollars and went, "Here's your proposal." <laughs> and we went on. It was a check. It was a check. That was the proposal. Yeah, they're, the proposal. they're usually the best types of proposals, really, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I just, to be honest, I didn't know what I was doing. I just had passion and fire and connections and I just saw this space and went, I want to put on a party. Like, it was incredible. It was, The shed was um, 10 metre by 10 metre by 10 metre, so five 10 metre spaces um, and all open. So my background, as I said, was events. I'd already done events to this point, but there was no kind of space that I'd ever seen that had no obstruction. So it was like a blank canvas and you could literally create anything. And my passion for this and my ability to share that with people and have people excited by it was really, really cool. Anyway, we went on to put on um, some of the biggest and best events Australia has ever seen. We did, we had thousands of people for different dance parties. We did mobile home events. We did events with Eric Jury and Nim. We did, oh goodness, what else? We did Jamiroquai. We did Vibes on the Summer's Day. We did an under 18 event for 6,000 under 18s, which was very stressful. Um, uh, we did the launch of Virgin Atlantic, the biggest off-premise fashion week event ever. Like it was insane. And um, it was just, it was a wonderful opportunity for, um, for Australia to have this space. Mm. Um, and I was lucky enough to meet uh, Sir Richard Branson uh, when we launched Virgin Atlantic. We actually built uh, the Virgin plane inside of the shed. It was made out of jumping castle material and hot air balloon material. So you walked up some stairs and literally into first class, into the plane. And we had like projected on the roof the, the map of the world and different stops outside of all the different spaces. It was incredible. Richard Branson walked in and clocked down in his hands and knees and he was just so in awe of what had been created. It was just such an incredible experience. Anyway, as a cheeky kind of probably 23 or 24-year-old at the time, um, I decided because I knew that the land was up for rent and, and the space was due for, you know, moving over to uh, no longer being a wharf. Um, and they asked him to back me in developing 22 hectares of land. Um, he was so gracious. He was amazing. And I got this incredibly fabulous photo of him, which I now think is fabulous, but at the time I was most upset about because it's a photo of him feeding me noodles with chopsticks. And I was, I don't want a sexy photo. I want like a, a serious, proper photo. Um, anyway, I had to back it up with uh, giving him a proposal for the development that I had, had said. Was it a check? 
No, I'm That's right. A bit bigger than the last one. <laughs> yeah, it was. He's it was looking, little... looking for one now. <laughs> he certainly well, is. Know, yes. <laughs> Actually, oh, you right. might be able to help them out, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I just saw that before I came in for the interview. It was scary. Poor thing. Yeah. How things can change. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, basically I um, asked him to back me in developing 22 hectares of land, which is now what Barangaroo is. And, um, you know, during all of this process, we had an event go on and the event, unfortunately, uh, hadn't sold as many tickets as what the promoter had said or what we thought it would have sold. Um, and I needed proof of that because the, the way that the venue was structured, as I said, it wasn't purpose built. It was a shed. So we needed to bring everything, you know, we needed to bring in lighting, fencing, everything from police, bars, everything needed to come in. And so when this promoter uh, couldn't show me the numbers on the page that he had filled the space or he was going to be able to cover costs, we made the very difficult decision to pull the event. And we pulled the event a few days before it and lost $75,000 that day, which was pretty pretty scary, but mm. a lot, like it would have been about 300000 if we would have gone through with the event. Sorry, Brett. Wow. That's a yeah. lot. So it's not—it's very unusual for a promoter not not to show you the figures. Yeah, yeah. I, in my head, I was thinking I probably know twenty or thirty of those guys. Yeah, Brett, Brett, Brett has endless stories about promoters. <laughs> endless. Well, it was before ticketing regulations were in place, right? So there was no ticket tech or ticket master. Mosh ticks had just been created. So you so couldn't you couldn't measure anything. I couldn't. I had to take his word, and I just felt I knew that it wasn't it wasn't right because every other event had such a great feeling. Um, and then my business partner at the time, unfortunately, she was a single mom and she just couldn't do it anymore. And I get it because, you know, we were plowing money into this thing and, you know, we had so many great ideas. And so she handed me a folder and went, I can't do this anymore. And there was another 65 grand worth of debt in there. And I went, what? okay. Yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> well, that was things like we were running um, side businesses as well, like printing and things like that to try and keep everything moving forward. And it was just, you know, we, we were so passionate and so committed to what we were creating with the venue. We just knew that it had legs. And, you know, if it wasn't for backers and it wasn't for, you know, <laughs> what happened with the space in the end, you know, I, I really truly think that that would have made the best venue on the planet. It was just beautiful. Um, so, you know, you live and learn. I stuck my head in the sand for five years from there and especially when I was living in Vaucluse <laughs> my wow. last time and I stuck my head in the sand and just didn't know how to deal with it. Didn't answer phone calls, didn't open mail, nothing and moved without changing my address and the debt just kept growing and I didn't know how to solve it. So, yeah, it was, pretty, it was a pretty humbling period of my life going from here to here in like no time at all. Yeah. So, how did you? I mean, obviously, you 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 still had that debt on your books. You you were carrying yeah. it. You were carrying it personally. Yes. Yeah. All linked back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a company, but yes, it was linked back. Yeah. And you and you buried your head in the sand for five years. Presumably, what you didn't work. Were you depressed? Were yeah, you? Yeah, I was. I was totally depressed. I, Tell I us was about that. I was self-medicating. I was drinking and smoking and just pretending that it wasn't happening because I didn't have a solution for it. Um, and it was, yeah, I suffered a deep depression. I, I went into a massive big hole and just had no clue how to get out. And in fact, a, a very dear friend of mine at the time, still makes me tear up, a very dear friend of mine at the time came and um, literally came and got me and, and said, right, that's it, get in my car. I said, where are we going? She just get in my car. I'm like, um, Italian friend of mine. I'm like, I'm not arguing with you. We got in the car and she drove me to a car park, which wasn't sus at all. And they showed me to get out. And they handed me one of those batons, one of those like bat directing traffic batons. She goes, yeah. right, you're going to stand here and you're going to work in your direct traffic. And what it did was it snapped me out of where I was, feeling sorry for myself and feeling bad. And, you know, it had me go, you know what? I can do this and I can do this with a smile on my face. Is it my chosen profession to direct traffic in the car park? No. Is there anything wrong with it? No. Is it what I want to spend my future doing? No. And so I really kind of just snapped out at that point of the, the place I was in 
Mm. I started talking to counsellors. I started answering phone calls. I started opening letters. I started giving the right address and started telling people about, you know, where I was at. And I didn't have any solutions at this time because I still didn't have any answers. But at least I had got into communication and I was talking to people and I was acknowledging where I had been um, and my commitment to get out of the situation. And my stance was always, you got into this situation, you're going to get out of it. I was never prepared to go into um, bankruptcy or anything like that. Like it just wasn't or a part nine debt agreement. It was like, no, 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 you, you got here, you'll get out of here. And so I spent the next few years doing what I could to get out of it. My grandfather passed away um, and I was left a small inheritance and I started using some of that. And, you know, to be completely honest, some of that debt fell off because it was before the tracking systems were quite as um, comprehensive as they are right now. And it's a sore topic, but, <laughs> but uh, some of the debt fell off and, it, you know, some of it was forgiven and I was able to reduce, settle, like do reduced settlements. And, and in the end, I managed to get myself out of the position and just I could breathe again. I, I was able to, to function and I was able to create. And I didn't realise how much it had got in the way of who I was as a creative, as an entrepreneur, as a person. Like it had just, my self-worth had gone from here down. And, and I guess what I did in the moment was decide that I was going to, uh, what I was creating next, I would do on a solid foundation. Like I was never going to have my fate be in the hands of somebody else like that again. I was never going to get myself into a situation like that again, mm. um, nor was I ever going to get into debt again. So did you um, did you seek help along the way to to help you get out of the place you were in, or was it something that you did you get it from books? Did you get it from mentors? I, I mean, we, you know, we all need help, don't we? I got it from a few different places. I, I think you know, to be honest, at one point I was so low, I was getting you know assistance from Salvation Army and St Vincent de Paul, like I was needing to go and get a financial counsellor to help me talk through. So I knew there was that side of it. Um, I knew that help was out there, and I started getting offers of uh, of help from the creditors, especially when the debt had gone to third party creditors. Um, I don't know how much you know about this no. or how much you want me to talk about this. Well, how, how does it work? How does it Third work? Party. Tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, so if your debt, if you don't pay your, so number one key to getting out of debt is being in communication, one hundred percent. You know, even if you have nothing to say, um, debts time out over a period of time, and then they get sold onto third parties or they get transferred to another agent to look after them. When a debt times out, usually, and each creditor is different, but when a debt times out, usually it times out um, and the interest stops, okay? Now, your credit file is affected and you get back marks and all the rest of it if you don't manage it properly. But then what happens when it's sold to a third party is they add their fees and charges and they add the interest back on. So I have a client at the moment who had a car loan, which I think started at 30 grand. It's now at 60 Jeez. Because of the she ignored it for a long period of time and because of the interest that was added onto it by the third party. Um, so, you know, being out of communication when it comes to your debts is not going to benefit you at all. Um, you need to make sure that your communication is front and centre. Sorry, George, go on. What, what kind of conversations did you, had, uh, did you have with them? Um, to start with, when I was depressed and didn't have answers, it was things like you can't get blood out of a stone. Like I don't have anything. So you can either take me to the cleaner or make me bankrupt, but I don't have anything. So you're not going to get anything or you can work with me and give me time to breathe so that I can try on solutions. And so Brett, to answer your question, I started working. I started paying like 10 or $20 off the debt. And what I would do also would, I would freeze any interest that I could and freeze any payments. So I'd start with freezing my interest, freezing my payments wherever I could or reducing my interest and reducing my payments wherever I could. But to be completely honest, by the time I got to it, a lot of my debt had moved to a third party because I had ignored it for such a long period of time. But I mean, what I now know is possible is that a lot of the times the creditors can do a whole lot more than what they tell you they can do. Really? A whole lot more than what they tell you. I mean, you know, I had my, my stepfather's an um, a professor of economics and you know I said to him I got really 
uh, a little bit passionate like I do. But I said to him, you know, I don't understand why the banks are deferring payments. Like, why can't they just freeze the interest and freeze the payments and stop everything now when people are hurting so much so that they can have the ability to do something later and they don't have that pressure? And he, he looked at me and said something that I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, if the bank, banks go bankrupt, then we're in trouble. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. So I get that banks need to make money, but they also need to have a little bit more, uh, I believe, a little bit more compassion or forthrightness around what they're doing. And, you know, we deal with the banks all day, every day. That's what we do, the creditors, all day, every day. And I can tell you they are slammed right now. Like we're creating a course uh, to teach people what their options are and how they can, uh, what steps they can take and what letters they need and what they can ask for and what they can't ask for and everything we're in the process of creating that to be launched uh, second week of May because people don't know what they're entitled to. They don't know what, how, when, where or why their options are available to them. And for us to be able to, to give that information to the people en masse, you know, to be, to be completely frank, if, if we started giving the information en masse to people through a webinar of what was available, et cetera, we would be swamped and not be able to deal with the amount of questions and inquiries and, and requests for assistance that come in. So I thought if we can streamline that and give people the ammunition that they need, the information and the templates and the options so that they know, you know, there are so many, mm -hmm. uh, there are things that people, you know, consolidation loan is a great option, right, mm -hmm. if you can get it. But People get desperate and they go online and they go looking for a consolidation loan. I need to find a consolidation loan. Mm. And there are companies out there that, that say they're offering a consolidation loan, but actually it's not. It's what's called a part nine debt agreement, which is an act of bankruptcy. But so often people are so desperate, they don't realise they just want everything in one, one payment. They want everything to stop. So they're just all the phone calls, all the letters, everything to stop. And if they just get it in one payment, they'll be happy. But they don't read the terms and conditions. They don't know what the costs are and they don't know what and how it's going to affect them. So we really highlight that in what we're doing so that people know what their options are and can choose powerfully and so, then giving them the action steps towards how to get those things for themselves. So when you were in those dark places, going back to before you became what you are now, if there was one piece of advice that when you were in that really dark place, if there was one piece of advice you would give to a person today that is in the same place, what would yeah. it be? The very first thing I would say is don't be embarrassed or ashamed. Mm -hmm. Like, really, don't be embarrassed or ashamed. Like, it happens. Um, that's a little bit more uh, acceptable now, whereas, you know, two months ago, you know, people wouldn't talk about it, whereas now they have to. Um, but being in communication would be my number one, absolutely. Like, just don't ignore it. Get in communication. Well, if you think about it, um, as we were just saying about Richard Branson, he's one of the richest, smartest guys on the planet and look where they are at the moment. So yeah. it's not a time to be embarrassed or ashamed, no. is it, really? No. no. no but, but getting in communication means knowing who to talk to um, and, often, and often from personal experience because because my family too lost everything in the, the recession we had to have and I know that a lot of debt collection agencies are not friendly. They're not nice. No, they're not. So, so how do you open up a dialogue with people who are aggressive, yeah. angry, and yeah. pushy, and, yeah. they just, and they just want to be paid? Okay. So that's the blood out of a stone bit for me, right? You know, you, you can push and you can yell and you can scream and you can be angry with me if you like, but that's not going to get us anywhere. You know, I don't have anything right now. I get that I owe money and I'm committed to doing that, but you need to back off. Yeah. And, and you, you learn... Pardon? And you learnt, you've experienced all these things too, oh, yeah. right? When you were a hundred percent, I push back, not push back to being rude, but assertive. And I think that's why this program that we've developed is so important because people feel, and I know truly, like oh, tears again. I know when it was me, it was so humbling to put my story across and have to keep repeating it to somebody who doesn't know me and to be completely honest doesn't give a care they're there to make money and to be honest they make commission in those places too on what they pull in so they want to get the best amount and the best result that they possibly can 
and a lot of them are pushed into that. I mean, the other, the major banks, I was talking to someone recently, he told me something totally terrifying from where I sit, that a lot of the major banks are trained, if you call in asking for help, that they send you to their collection department, not to their hardship department. So the collection department is, I need, I need, I need, versus the, the hardship department, which is a little bit more warm and understanding. But even inside of that, there's not, they're not going to turn around and go, George, I'm really sorry to hear you're going through what you're going through. Let me freeze your interest. Let me start your payments. Let me waive some of your debt for you. And let me just put it on hold for three months so that you can catch your breath. And then let's have another conversation, see how you are, and let's see what we can do for you. They don't work like that. They're a business. And so I think it's really important for you to know and understand what your rights are, how you can go about it, what you're entitled to. And what options, as I said before, are available to you? Because when you know what they are, then you can act powerfully. But quite often, I say this a lot: when people are in debt distress, it's kind of it's like anxiety. Oh my gosh, how am I going to? When's it There's no oxygen that goes through your brain, and when there's no oxygen going through your brain, you literally can't think. And when you can't think, you can't create solutions. So when someone's on the other end of the phone coming at you. You often give in to, okay, fine, I'll give you $50, even if I'm taking nappies off my child or food from my parents to give you that money because you feel under attack. Sometimes you just need to say, stop, mm. just stop. I need to breathe. I need to think. I need to come up with a solution and then I'll come back to you. So, Brett, sorry, were you going to say something? I know, I was just going to say, um, so when you were in it, I want to add something else that I think will be really valuable to your business, right? Just before yeah. I ask that question. Sure. If you're going to ask for something from the creditor, you need to always be on the front foot. Mm. So I got myself an accounts diary, okay? And every letter or everything I needed to pay, I would put in that week and I'd schedule in my phone to have a text reminder weekly to look at that and pay what needed to be paid. And if it was that I would need to call one of the banks at a particular time, I put it in the diary two weeks before because sometimes it took me two weeks to pluck up the courage or get the confidence to make that call again. But you mm. need to be on the front foot with them not them chase you. If they chase you, they get really annoyed. Again, that's a communication element. Um, okay, so to answer your question, Brett, <laughs> everybody, including my mother, who's not entrepreneurial at all, kept saying, you should do this as a business kitty. You should do this. You've helped friends and family and, you know, all of these people over the years, you've helped them because for 10 years, I've, I've been running the business officially for five, like just under five years. Mm -hmm. But for years, people kept saying, oh, you, you need to do this for a business. I'm like, no way. <laughs> no way. You wanted to get I, back on the walls, right? Yeah, well, I've been in this conversation of debt for such a long time. It's such mm. a heavy burden to bear. How am I going to talk on behalf of Brett or George or Fred? Or how can I do that? How can I hold that burden for somebody else? And it wasn't like I was a, a no. Um, and it wasn't until five years ago when I actually had a health mishap myself where I ruptured a disc in my neck. And as a sole parent of two kids, my life stopped, literally. I couldn't drive, I couldn't cut a sandwich, I couldn't work, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, I couldn't care for my, I couldn't do anything. Right. And it was at that time that I realized that the stress that I had been through caused this. Mm. And people didn't need to go through this. But what I refused, point blank, was to bring heaviness to it. If I was going to do this, I was going to make it light, I was going to make it fun, I was going to make it funny, I was going to be upbeat about it. And so I had to create a name that was uplifting, which is where Dead Angels came from, and Solutions is what we do. So it was a natural fit. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't want to. I did not want to. And now I am so everyone we help, every, every change we make, everything we do for people is just it's like a high. You know, when people win, we are beaming. You know, there's laughter and happiness in the office and people love what we do. We've saved our clients over $4.5 million in the last what, four years probably uh, since we've been really running yep. um, and we never advertise. So we never, we've never formally let anyone know it's all word of mouth. And, you know, we're gearing up now to get ready for what's coming because I'm very clear that people need what we have and don't know how to do this themselves. And even if they do know what I found and when I told friends of how to do it for themselves, they're like, excellent. And then they leave and they go, Kitty, can you do it for me? Yeah, right. you know, my best friend who, um, who was, um, 
probably a really like a really big turning point for me she was um I didn't realize she had it all together had this amazing life blah 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 and one day she was really upset I said what's wrong and she goes oh like she wouldn't take a phone call and I said who is it and she she told me and I said give me the phone let me call them and I called them and I and I stopped the interest and I stopped the payments for six months like that for her and she just burst into tears and the pressure that I saw it come off her shoulders when I made that phone call, I will never forget. And that freedom that we give people, that freedom that's available to people from their debts when they can't pay them, you know, the things that people have no idea are available. Um, yeah. Anyway, I could talk about this for hours. Well, well Kitty, do you think do you think that um, you know it's a symptom of of the modern um, modern age where you know we've been we've been brainwashed to believe that debt is good, mm. you know, use a credit card, leverage the banks, uh, leverage your borrowings to buy properties, extend yourself, extend yourself, extend yourself, and of course you have to have the fancy car and live in a nice house. And do you think that's uh, that 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 has come to a screeching halt right now and people will reassess where they're going. Or you, so. But you said, you said you're gearing up for, for a hell of a lot more work. What do you see ha- happening? Where do you see it going? I see people really getting present to the reality of what their debt means to them. You know, like part of the course, and I was blown away, but part of the course that we've created is a slide about credit cards. So uh, a $10,000 credit card at 20% interest, right? three separate payment amounts and I'm not going to remember them 100% but you'll get the idea right so same amount same interest rate pretty low interest rate okay really true really like most interest rates are kind of especially if you do a zero balance transfer up at 25% 24.99 they go as high as 30 um, on a basic kind of store card but this example $10,000 three separate examples if you were to pay $10,000 a $10,000 credit card off at 20% um, it would take you uh, 109 months if you paid it off at $200 a month and you would pay $11,000 interest. Sorry, I'm, I'm doing this from memory. If you, did a, uh, if you did it for 84 months, you would pay it off uh, at, I think it was $222 a month for 84 months to clear that credit card. If you were to pay it off at... $170 a month, you would pay a whopping 30-odd-thousand dollars interest. So you'd pay back $40,000 and it would take you 238 months. We're talking about a difference of $50 a month mm. between those three examples. Like that's wow. control. Wow. Yeah. I don't think people realise that. I didn't, no. I didn't realise that no. on scale until I put it into the example and it fell over. I don't no. think people realise that because they see it as a like they see the small monthly amount and they think, oh yeah, we'll just pay it off. You know, mm-hmm. and, and people are not good with numbers. Then it's mm-hmm. not, you know, they're not. They don't understand compounding interest. They don't understand Correct. that. Correct. Um, and it really compounds pretty fast. It does. <laughs> yeah, and, and the position that we were in, we may not necessarily be in, or something might happen. Our health might fall. We might become a single parent. Our relationship might break down. Our health might break down. You know, our, our job might change. God forbid there's a COVID-19. You're like, mm. We don't know what's coming. So to answer your question, George, I, I truly hope that people get present to the the actual situation that they're in. Like a girlfriend of mine, very successful businesswoman, showed me her credit card statement the other day. It said it would take her 103 years to pay off her debt. I'm like, how is that legal? It was a small credit card. How is that even legal? If she pays a minimum payment, how is it okay for the banks to give that? And the biggest problem I think we have, aside from obviously COVID-19 and the fallout of that, is we had the Royal Commission last year. The bank's got a big fat smack on their hand, naughty bad bank. Okay, sorry, Mr. Royal Commission, we'll be this way from now on. But what about all the people that were given zero balance transfer, given extra credit, given more credit than they can deal with, and they're, they're in this bid here, they're not affected by what's happening. And because of the comprehensive credit reporting that's now in place, if you're late on a payment, they record it. So if you want to get a consolidation loan to consolidate this and you've been late for whatever reason, the bank can go, no, sorry, the Royal Commission said we can't do that. And so people are wow. in not a great position. Do you, do you think apart from um, 
the embarrassment of the debt for people, do you think part of it is also the confrontation of actually ringing them up and saying, 100%. Oh, listen, I've got this debt, you've got to help me? Because they're scared 100%. of being berated by these people, et cetera? Well, they don't make they don't make it easy. They don't make it easy for someone to get through either. So you know, you're sitting there on the phone, being bounced from one department to another, and you're waiting and you're waiting and waiting, and you're getting frustrated. And 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 sometimes, I mean, I've experienced that. And sometimes I I actually felt that this is intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, diversion. But yeah. it is that confront. But I I assume it is that confrontation as well, right? A hundred percent. Remember when I said that I put in my diary two weeks before to call them? Yep. It's because I had to work myself up to that point. Yeah. It's because I had to build myself up to the point where I was comfortable enough. I haven't spoken about this for years. Where I was comfortable enough to make that phone call, and I was never comfortable enough to make that phone call because the person on the other end of the phone, as I said, didn't give a care. Mm. It was to get the money in and to get me sorted and done. And I felt pushed. Mm. And I and I felt, especially as things started getting better, but I still didn't have the money to clear it up. Well, you got the debt, you need to pay it. I'm like, I know I got the debt and I know I need to pay it, but I can't right now or this is all I can afford right now. And this is what's missing is people don't know what they can do. They don't know how to do it. They don't know where to go. You know, at the moment, um, I spoke to Westpac the other day, they normally get, um, I think it was 55,000 online applications for assistance in a year. They had 65,000 in a a week. Like, and part of the problem there is that people don't know what to ask for. They don't know who to go to. So they call, they don't get through, they sit on hold, they put an online application in, they're missing the information. It can't be assessed by the bank. So they're calling, they're emailing, and they're trying to follow up, which is three points of contact. Because they just don't know what to do. Yeah. And this, this again is where we're coming in going, this is what your options are. This is what you can do. Make sure you get your ducks in a row before you submit. You know, you need to tell them this. You need, like, you need to tell, what you need to tell them is your situation, um, what you're asking for, what your position is. So prove your position, whether it be your statement of financial position, which you can get access to. We have a video of it on our website, which, I'm sure you guys will put up later and, you know, just get everything down so that people can see it um, and then proof, like a copy of a doctor's letter or whatever's going on. And then also your recoverable position. So how are you going to recover from this? What do you think will happen? And if you don't know, you say, I don't know what the situation is going to be, but I will, I'm asking for this for three months. By the way, most of them will only give it to you for three months. Um, there's so many things I can tell you. Like, deferment of payment is totally different to a freeze on interest and payment like a deferment is just moving it along you're still paying it like if you're going to get a deferment on your mortgage bring the interest rate down before you get a deferment so at least when you're deferring your payment the interest rate that you're paying down the track deferred is less than what you're paying now but just we don't think of these things we don't know these things and we don't think of these things because we can't think because there's so much chaos going on because we don't know where we stand or where we're going i realize that i know nothing John Snow. <laughs> yeah, 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 you've actually created a bit of a pregnant pause in this interview that's, because uh, that's right. Because Usually, I'm, we've I'm, got a lot to say. I, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about all those all those items that apply to me. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I got to go, guys. I got to get on to this. <laughs> so, uh, so Kitty, tell, um, for everybody out there, uh, tell them the best way to get in touch with you and or what they should do um, business wise. Sure. So um, there's a, a whole lot of different angles that are happening in terms of what you're enable or what you're able to get help with and stuff like that. And your accountant's probably the best person if you've got a business to find out what you're entitled to. But for you personally, um, you know, we offer a free consult call. Um, our phone number is one three hundred seven double two five six zero, and we our website is debt uh, we are launching a course, as I said, it will come out the first, maybe the 10th, I think we're aiming for, of May, uh, where we give all the information as to where you go. The course is like $49. It's nothing, everything that you need to know about your options. So are you entitled to hardship? Are you entitled to a full and final settlement? Can you get access to funds to do that? What about a long-term arrangement? What about uh, bankruptcy? What is that? You know, I we explain 10 different options that you have. What about more credit? What about getting a, a payday loan? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> what about more credit? What does that really mean to you? You know, what is bankruptcy? What does it mean to you? 
Um, and so we give the options first. Uh, but then once we're giving the options in this course, we're having people get present to where they're actually at. Because if you don't know where you're at and you don't stop to really center, how do you know where you're going? Mm, yeah. We look at, sorry. Go I was just thinking um, um, amongst all of this turmoil that we're going through and, and lots of grief and, um, you know, um, stress, in the last X amount of years since you've been doing this, tell us the funniest thing that's happened to you in this field. I was yes. just thinking there must be there must be one story <laughs> that sticks out to you. Am I allowed to swear? Yes, yeah. of course. Sure. <laughs> Fucking oath. <laughs> a very well-to-do lady, a lovely lady, very well-to-do, very kind of, you know, together, um, had been through a really horrendous time. She had like $78,000 worth of unsecured debt and we called her to tell her that we had waived all of that debt for her completely gone and she up with the phone and I said to her are you sitting down she said yes yes darling I am sitting down I said excellent I said so this is what we've done I said you know that $78,000 you have she said yes yes I do and I said well we've waived it she goes pardon I said we've waived it she goes <laughs> From well to do to to back on the wharfs, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that relief that people are so. It's that relief that people get when they get their life back, and they realise the shackles that they've had on them are gone. You know, even mm. bringing debt that we managed down. Like I had an accountant who's extraordinary. Like been through so much. Ex-husband, taking children, the whole lot. Like, she's been through so much. And we were able to reduce the debt down, but also she was paying $1,000 a month, but only 200 of that was coming off a principal of her debt. Mm. And we were able to reduce that, like, freeze all of the interest in the payment, set up a seven-year payment plan, and all she's paying is $200. She has $800 cash flow extra every single month. You know, the mm. relief, she bursts into, like, people burst into tears a lot and for some strange reason people send us donuts when they're happy i don't know why <laughs> yeah well there you go and just what you need right <laughs> gluten-free offers and most people want to die but it's the relief that people feel like they just get mm. their lives back and there is nothing better than being part of that for somebody and having somebody even just realize that they can do that, mm. that they don't have to be slave to this. I've had stories of people trying to kill themselves and then meeting us and, and their lives have totally turned around. Like their, their family has stepped in and helped them or have settled debt for less and freed everything up. And, you know, they've gone from here to here and you know, their lives are fine. We've got people who were never going to have babies because they couldn't break free of debt having babies. No, I've I've claimed oh, that's, they're angel babies. That's, that's, <laughs> they're, they're yeah. it's, it's guaranteed to, to put them back in debt. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Keep, keep that to themselves. They should keep kept it in the pants. <laughs> so, so I can yeah. One of the things, George, I was just going to say is that one of the things I'm committed to is exactly what you talked about, George, and that is you break free of debt, you go, I'm never going back there. But unless you put something else in the space and you fill it with information, education, knowledge, you're going to go back there. Yeah. You know, I did. I went back to, oh, I'll just get a credit card to be on this chip. You know, I'm clear of it now, but you do go back there. And so what we're, what we're doing is we're creating a series of programs that the next one we're doing is about standing up and fighting for yourself, being assertive and strong. And the next one is about budgeting and making sure you know where your money goes. Because if you don't know where your money goes, it'll spend itself. And that's, you know, you're going to end up back where you started. Yeah. And that's fun. It's not fun. Gee, Kitty, oh. you're one of the most passionate people I've met in a long time. Yeah. I, I love your passion. It's just well, fantastic. I've got to say this. uh just, just uh, listeners can't see your face, but I can. Um, George and I can, and I can tell just by your face that you really, you really are the real McCoy, which is fantastic. I've got to say. I just, I care, you know, and I've been there, and I've been through 
a whole lot of stuff myself. Like I've been through uh, domestic violence. I've been through sole parent. I've been through huge debt distress. I've been an entrepreneur. I've set up a business, you know, I've been through so many things. And I know how much of a constraint this can have. And I am passionate. I believe that people don't need to be slaves to their debt. There is another way. And, you know, no, no one talks about so few businesses, so few people do what we do. You know, there are free financial counsellors that do do similar, but they are stretched to the max. They go as far as they can, but that's about as far as they can go. They are not able to necessarily fight like we do. We had, like that woman I was telling you about, the 78,000, we had... Four no's. They said no four times. We did not stop. We just kept going back and back and back. It doesn't make the slightest bit different to what we get paid, but it makes a world of difference to that client. Mm. And that's what we're about, people before profit every time. So uh, George and I need to book in uh, <laughs> straight after this interview. I've already, I've already, I've already spoken to Kim. Well, well who, isn't, who isn't in trouble in the current circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. Seriously. Absolutely. And I guess the other thing I really want to say here, and, and this is a personal thing for me, is I refuse, point blank refuse to take somebody on unless I can save them more than they're already paying. Like it just, for me, it's an added integrity to take somebody on. So I will spend time, and that's why I've created these courses, because I spend a lot of time explaining to people what to do, how to do it, what they need to do, all of that stuff, because I don't want them to leave a conversation with us empty-handed you know they need to they need to know where to go next because making that phone call or, or reaching out is damn hard mm. like that is without a doubt one of the hardest part of the whole thing and also going through the position your statement of financial position is also really hard it's confronting as I, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, I, I was, I was confronted by that uh, financial analysis and I, yeah. and I, and I stalled, I, yeah. st I, I got halfway through it and I, and it just, I, I just said, I, I can't, I can't do this. It's, it's so I have to get back to it. That's <laughs> not like you, so, George. So I'm warning, so I'm warning the listeners, I'm warning the listeners that if they, they take you on, they will be confronted. Yeah, that bit is the most confronting part, absolutely. But once they give it to us, like I said to people, give me your debts. They're like, what? I'm like, just give it to me. Give, like I'll spend an hour. When clients come on board with us, we spend an hour and a half on a phone call with them. And we go through all of their money. We give them tips and tricks of where and what they can spend as we go through it. And then they sign letters of authority for us to take over the management of their debt. And that's it. We then will communicate with them directly. That's all they need to do is talk to us. And they do have to talk to us. I have three prerequisites when talking to a client, like no kidding, prerequisites. One, they need to be in communication. If I can't want your freedom from debt more than you want it for yourself. So if you're not willing or able to talk to me, forget it. I'm sorry, I'm not taking you on. Two, um, you need to be uh, committed to transforming the situation. 100%. You have to be committed to transforming the situation. Same situation. I'm not going to want it more. Um, and so I said communication, committed to transforming it. And you need to, like, you need to pull this thing towards you. You need to want this like you don't want anything. You've never wanted anything else because we will make it happen. We will come up with solutions, alternatives, ways to do it, look at different things, hold things, use money from here, do this settle blah 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 we will transform this and we will get you out of debt but if you're not playing as hard as we are we just we can't and I just refuse I refuse point blank to do it so yeah and and you know people say you can't do that I'm like why can I not do that I'm not prepared to uh you like you you said Brett you can feel my passion I'm like this with everybody with our clients all the time you know um because they have taken a step. They've come to us and they want this, um, but I'm not. I'm not prepared to drag them kicking and screaming sure. across the line. Yeah. I have kids for that. That's enough. Well, speaking speaking of your kids, are you educating them already in the in the ways of uh, yes. managing debt? A hundred percent. That's right. a big. Uh, it's a big. Grip. It's a big missing at school, isn't it? Oh, huge. That's ultimately where I would like to end up: is education. Yep. Um, around like we do the courses but then educating kids my uh, he was 12 at the time um I had a client on the phone because sometimes I'll be working from home over night time and onboarding clients then and the kids will come in and you know I'll have the phone on loudspeaker because I'm typing 
Um, and I'll, of course, say, hey, listen, my son's just walked in the room. And, and at one point I asked my son, Bodhi, who was 12, do you know what interest is? And he just rattled it off. This is when you don't have, like when you get a credit card and they put more money on top and then you have to pay all of that money back on as well. And it costs you a lot of money and it keeps you stuck and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, go Bodhi. <laughs> like, it's awesome that he has that level of knowledge, but most kids don't. And my, my German friend, who's my mentor, uh, in, in the business, he um, he's incredible. He said to me something so profound. He said, what walks in the parents run in the children. So if we are normal, like my dad spent a whole lot of money and was quite frivolous and it's why we moved from the East because we lost everything we had. Um, um, but I, I'm very conscious that I had that conditioning up till six or seven years of age, or nine years of age. And that very much made up who I am. And so we've got to break that cycle too. We not only need to educate them, but we need to transform ourselves and our situation so we can empower our kids and the future. Because especially now, they're in a lot of trouble with what they're about to inherit financially for the country and for the world. We need to teach them how to be savvy and how to be wise and how to, you know, look after what they've got. It's really important and very well, let's hope we can become Team Australia after all of this and, and work, work through this together because that's yeah. what's going to be needed, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely 100%. So, yeah. um, so Kitty, before we go, because I know George is uh, going to be continuing on secretly on another <laughs> interview, do you have a favourite song before we go? I love Jack Johnson. I've, I've always loved that calming. And Heather Noble is also my favourite that I used to kind of Led Zeppelin songs in particular. No. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to leave? Do you want? Do you want to leave it up to me then? Yes, please. Okay. Actually, uh, can I can I come back to you with it? Because there's one that I can't think of off the top of my head here that we actually um, that we use sure. often when we do. Okay. But I'll yep. come back to you. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Um, Kitty. Kitty, it's it's uh, be wonderful. George has been raving about you for weeks, and and um, and I can see why you you're. Such a passionate person, and congratulations on doing what you're doing, people, and you're doing a great people, job for people. People need to hear her message. They Thank do. Thank you. So the other thing I was going to say, and the way that I'm um, looking at getting my course out there is, I'm very much about redistributing wealth. Like that's what I'm about is um, having you know coming in and and you know doing it that way. So what I'm going to do is uh, we're setting up through Kajabi. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. and affiliate link in there and so what I'm offering is anyone that kind of shares what we do uh, $10 out of the whole process of what we're doing because I want to give back to the people that hear me see me and believe in what we're about and what we're doing so that we keep that kind of circulating and giving people opportunity as well that's my way of um, giving back and we also offer a hundred dollar referral for people that come directly so we're getting like I always ask people where they come from so I'm happy to set that up here as well gentlemen um, yeah. and for anybody you know else that you know that, that refers us business. do we have a special code for float your boat FYB debt yeah. <laughs> very lovely kitty thank you yeah. thank you pleasure take bye, care Kevin. see you guys bye, bye. times like these, in times like those, what will be will be, and so it goes, and it always goes on and on and on and on and on, on and on and on and on and on it goes. And laugh and cry and birth and die and boys and girls with hearts that take a give and break and heal and grow and recreate and raise and nurture but then hurt from time to time like these in times like those what will be will be and so it goes and then 
will always be stop and go and fast and slow and action reaction and sticks and stones and broken bones those for peace and those for war and god bless these ones not those ones but these ones many times like these in times like those what will be will be and so it goes and it always goes on and on and on Somehow I know Never be the same